Good morning. How are we this morning? Yeah? Sounds like a lot of folks are sick. Anybody got folks sick in your home that you left behind? I don't know. Maybe you're like, I got to peace out. I got to protect myself. I'm going to church. I'm praying today. Um, <laughs> it's good to see y'all this morning. Um, man, I love that song. I was like really getting into worship this morning. Yeah. I Rafe does it better than Chris Tomlin. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to talk bad about Chris Tomlin. His voice is super whiny. Everyone's like, Rafe, I don't know who that is. Rafe is yeah. awesome. Rafe is awesome. Um, we are in uh, a sermon series called, what's it called? Good job. Wish, Wish. Unwrapping Christmas. Sorry. Good so start. we had the, let's just name something right now. We had the worst night of sleep that we've had in like weeks. And our kids just aligned for last night. I don't know what it is about preacher's kids. And they like, yeah. I think Andy and Jude had a little conference meeting. They did. And they were like, all right, let's make sure it's Saturday night before both our parents are supposed to preach the next day. Yep. And, uh, and so, you know, Andy had like, two or three different nightmares. Um, one of them, she told me she thought she had been put in an oven and someone had just turned it on. So she burned her finger on the stove yesterday, and I'm pretty sure there's a one-to-one correlation in those experiences. We don't do that. We don't put yeah. our kids in the oven. <laughs> no. Why just would anybody think that? Why would you say that? I just want to clear That's it weird. up. That's, you didn't need to be cleared um, up. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, so it was basically Jude awake, Andy awake, Jude awake. Golly. And because I've been telling people, oh, Jude's sleeping through the yeah. night, I, I cursed it. We've not been knocking on enough wood, yeah. I guess. I don't but, know. But, okay, so before, speaking of babies, I just want to say this week we had two Thrive members have babies. Uh, one on Monday, uh, Lori and Mark Weehy had a baby, Axel Sebastian. How cool is that name? Like, he's going to be a rock star. Yeah. Right? Like, 10 pounds, <laughs> whoo, and then, um, <laughs> or a and, linebacker, yeah. one of the two, and then Annabeth and Tyler Lindenmeyer had a baby on Wednesday, I'm looking at their small group, Wednesday, they're like, yep, yeah, Loomis, like, yep. and um, so boys, and then Stephen and Libby are having a baby either Tuesday or Saturday, so we've got all these babies, all these babies, we need then, to tell the nursery that it's just going to be all boys, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, get ready, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're going to need to buy new supplies. Everything's going to get broken. So, yeah. All right. This is, you're the oh. pink. You're, yeah, that's okay. you. So It's been a minute since we've done this. So we were like, what's our system again? Okay. Yeah. So obviously we're talking about joy, joy today. And so kind of our big overall question is what is joy and how do we have it? So with that, we're going to read the scripture. Yeah. So our scripture is going to help us talk about joy and sort of unwrap the layers uh, of joy is Matthew 11. So this might not seem like a very Christmassy uh, scripture if you're doing the math in your head. Chapter 11 is far past the birth story in the Gospel of Matthew. And this is actually a scene about a guy named John the Baptist uh, towards the end of his life. This is Jesus's cousin, the one who is inside of Elizabeth's womb that leapt with joy when Mary and Elizabeth came near each other, right? That same John, the same John the Baptist that baptized Jesus. That's where he got his name. And, and we're going to see John is now in prison. Uh, he was a great preacher, and he, uh, the mistake that he made was that he uh, held Herod to account. Remember King Herod, the one from the Christmas story that was um, trying to get all of the, first, all of the, the boys, um, and uh, John the Baptist sort of calls Herod to account that he needs to live by uh, the law, and, you know, uh, 
turns out that uh, corrupt government officials don't love being called out, right, by prophets. So uh, he ends up in prison and will end up martyred because of this. And so this comes towards the end of his time in prison. Um, and this story, um, hopefully by the end, you'll come to see why we're talking about this in this season of Advent and on the subject of joy. This is actually the lectionary text. So if you follow the lectionary, that's the, like the church universal uses something called the lectionary. It's a three-year rotation of scriptures, and this is actually the assigned text for this week. So it says this, beginning in chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. It says, now when John heard in prison about the things Jesus was doing, he sent word by his disciples to Jesus asking, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another. Now, let's just pause there for one second. Um, it's an interesting question to ask because John knew that Jesus, believed Jesus was the Messiah. He was the one that baptized him, witnessed, you know, that sort of spiritual moment of God's voice saying, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. So John's aware that Jesus is the Messiah. At the same time, John is human, and he's sitting in prison, and he knows what fate he's about to have, and he may be wondering, so are, are you cousin Jesus... Are you really the one that we thought you were? Because my situation doesn't really feel like that right now. Um, and so he keeps, he keeps going. He says, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? And so um, Jesus responds to John's uh, disciples, these messengers that John has sent. Go, report to John what you hear and see. And then Jesus says this. These are very intentional words that he's using. Those who were blind are able to see. Those who were crippled are walking. People with skin diseases are cleansed. Those who were deaf now hear. Those who were dead are raised up. The poor have good news proclaimed to them. So that litany he just offered is a litany we see frequently in the book of Isaiah. Right? This is from the prophecies about what will happen when the Messiah comes. These are the tangible effects of this messianic age that Jesus is bringing. The, the, the blind receiving sight, the deaf receiving hearing, uh, the, the lame being able to walk. And not just that, not only these miracles of healing, but then also here that Jesus is proclaiming power over death. Right, The dead are being raised up. That's a big deal. And not only that, Jesus is saying, I'm changing the fabric of society. I'm bringing good news to the poor. Now, that's not a phrase that should be lost on us. In the Jewish, uh, in, in the Jewish time of those days, uh, their economic perspective was one of scarcity. There's only so many resources, right? And so if the, if the poor are receiving good news, if they're being lifted up, other people are having to lose what they have, right? So Jesus is reframing the social structure, right? This is the power of the Messiah. He says, happier are those who don't stumble and fall because of me. When, John, when John's disciples had gone, Jesus spoke to the crowds about John. He said, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? A stalk or, or reeds blowing in the wind? Now, that's an interesting phrase. Uh, King Herod's sort of symbol that he used on his currency and whatnot was reeds blowing in the wind, right? So he's saying, John's not Herod, right? Who did you go out into the wilderness to see? You didn't go to see Herod. You didn't go to see the powers that be. What did you go out to see? A man dressed up in refined clothes? Look, those who wear refined clothes are in royal palaces. That's not who John was. John wore, it says in, in our gospel account, he would wear camel fur, right? And he would eat locusts. John was a wild dude. He did not look like a refined human being, right? You didn't invite him to the country club. What did you go out to see? A prophet? 
Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. That's a bold statement. In the Jewish tradition, the prophet was like right there underneath God. That was the messenger for God. So Jesus is saying he's more than a prophet. He is the one of whom it is written. And this is, again, from the, gospel, or from the book of Isaiah. Look, I'm sending my messenger before you who will prepare your way before you. Jesus says, I assure you that no one who has ever been born is greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Those are the words of God for the people of God. Let us say thanks be to God. So this morning, we're going to look at at the subject of joy, and we're going to unwrap some of the layers around what joy is and how we can have it, and we're going to look through this character of John the Baptist in this scene of him suffering in prison, but then receiving word of what's happening now that Jesus is really engaged in ministry, and I think that John's person, his character, his life, his witness can offer us something to understand about joy this morning. Reagan? Okay, so our first kind of layer, first point is joy and happiness are not the same thing. And I think most of us would probably agree with that. We all know what it's like to have this deep felt joy. And we also know what this kind of surface happiness level is. Um, And for me, I think about joy. Joy really is, for me, is almost like a spiritual discipline. It is something that does not come easy for me. Um, and maybe a lot of you could agree with that. It's something that you kind of have to work at. You have to kind of dig deep. You have to kind of search your soul. You kind of have to look at maybe um, all that's around you or what has been around you or maybe what's coming. Uh, because sometimes if we get stuck in the moment, we don't feel very happy. I have to imagine that John the Baptist, while he's in prison, is probably not super happy-go-lucky about his circumstances. I'm going to guess not. Probably not. Yeah. Um, but there was probably this deep joy that he, um, why he got put in prison, because he felt that he was following God's call and calling out injustices in the world. And so he had this joy because he was, you know, fulfilling his purpose. He had this joy of knowing that he was faithful um, to God and he was thanking God for, you know, even for putting him in prison, really, probably because a lot of people in the Bible, when they're in prison, they are evangelizing, they're telling more people, like, they don't waste a moment. And so I feel like joy is something that is very difficult, because it is something that requires um, looking broader, looking deeper, and happiness is kind of just, um, you know, something that is kind of easy to do, but it's more temporary, I guess, it's kind of momentary. Uh, We all know what it's like uh, on Christmas morning, when you get a gift and you're like really happy or when you're a kid and then it breaks by the end of the day or something like you're happy for a moment and then it's gone. Or you just lose interest in it. You lose interest or you have a Reagan likes to point out like the bazillion random gadgets I have that I really needed, right? Any other like gadget addicts in the room that you're like, I gotta have this and like it's so much fun for like a week and then it ends up uncharged in a basket somewhere in the black hole basket, right? Just the basket that holds everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. But that's that's happiness, right? Happiness is just like a a short-term just sort of reaction. It's that jolt of like, oh, this is nice, but it fades really quickly. Really quickly, yeah. I think that joy and uh, another difference between joy and happiness, it it revolves around gratitude. Um, At least it does for me. So 
Um, the way I put it is, I think that joy tends to have a larger view, and, and it's someone who's able to look, someone who's joyful can look throughout the breadth and depth of their life and say, wow, look at all that God has done, right? Regardless of my present circumstance, look at all that God has done when I survey everything, right? Um, I think about John the Baptist. Um, this was a guy who was a, a very powerful preacher, right? He didn't have the gifts of healing uh, that Jesus did. He couldn't calm storms. He couldn't walk on water. Uh, all he had to rely on was his, own, was his own prophetic voice, and he was really good at it. He was so good that he had disciples still attending to him while he was in prison. This was a guy that drew crowds of thousands um, and, and drew the attention of King Herod, and he had been able to see people transformed and changed and prepared for the coming of the Messiah. And so when he's in prison and when he is suffering, I don't think he's looking at just that moment and saying, you know, geez, this really stinks. I, I think I'm, uh, you know, I'm losing my faith. I think he was able to look at the breadth and depth of his life and say, wow, I see God throughout all of this. I'm so gracious. And that was a source of joy for him. Uh, whereas, you know, happiness, being someone who's driven by happiness, that, that's, I know I get that way when I tend to ask God, what have you done for me lately? Right? Yeah, or have you ever been guilty like I am of asking God, what have you done for me lately? If I'm John, I'm sitting in prison. Here's something interesting. When Jesus does that litany of the, you know, the deaf receiving hearing and the blind receiving sight and the poor receiving good news, one of the things that's frequently mentioned, and it's mentioned in Luke chapter 4, which we're going to talk about in a, in a sec, I think. Um, one of the things that he mentions in this, that is normally mentioned in the Isaiah litany is the, the release of the captive, right? Like literally the breaking chains of those who are in prison, and that's not something that Jesus says, and that's not something that John's going to hear. I wonder John's reaction when he hears the litany and goes, oh, he didn't mention that one. <laughs> I, don't, I guess I'm not getting out of here. And so if John's driven by happiness, that would lead to a lot of sadness, right? When you hear all these good things that are happening for everybody else, and you go, you know what, I don't know if I'm getting out of this. But I don't think that John was driven by that. I think John was comfortable acknowledging that, yeah, my present circumstance is pretty awful, and I know what I'm going to have to face, and it doesn't look pretty. Um, but I'm not defining my life, and I'm not defining my joy based upon what I'm experiencing right now. I'm looking back and saying, wow, look at, look at what God has done. I'm so thankful for the life, the full life that I've been able to live. Yeah. And you may talk about this later, but I think John is one of the most selfless characters probably in the Bible because... Everything he does is about Christ. It's, it, he's never about himself. And I think joy is something that you can also look around and look at other people, those that, that you love, and kind of feed off of their joy, too. Because it's not all always about you. Like, maybe your circumstances are so great, but you're like, but gosh, look what's happening in their life. That brings me joy. And so it's being kind of other-oriented, too, which I think John the Baptist is a great example Yeah, like, for instance, that. I got a neighbor a couple houses down the road, a friend of mine, who just got a Traeger uh, uh, pellet smoker. Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. They advertise constantly. And I have oh, joy. Where? That, what? where do they advertise these? They are on, like, the ticket. Oh. Any other P1s in the room? That's no? Um, yeah, there we go. Someone <laughs> just woke back up. And, um, and, and so I can experience joy for him, because now I get to appreciate brisket and, and, yeah. and other smoked goodies. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, and joy that I don't have to buy you one. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. It's also joy. I was like, how much that, was that? And he told me, I was like, I'm so glad you bought one. That's so good for you. I'll buy brisket for you. Great. There we go. Um, okay, so one thing that, again, going back to the difference between joy and happiness, you know, there's a lot of scripture that talks about... Um, Putting our faith on, on 
rock and not sand. And that's why I feel like joy is the rock and happiness is sand. And so I think there's something good about putting your, your faith um, into things that are meaningful, I guess, deep, the things that are going to last, things that, um, again, aren't these fleeting different things. Um, because I feel like happiness for me is really a toddler's mood swing where, like, I'm happy one moment and then I'm not. But joy is kind of this constant thing. Even if it's just a quiet, minor thing and I feel like it's really small, it's amazing the power that joy is. Because I feel like joy comes from the Lord. And so there's, there's power in that joy that can keep you going when things are really rough. Happiness really doesn't have much power, I feel like. It just, it just doesn't. It just doesn't. It's not equal because I feel like happiness kind of comes from the world. I feel like joy comes from the yeah, Lord. Yeah, you're constantly chasing something to make you happy again. Yeah. I mean, we, we, so we're talking about this in general, but also because we're in a season right now, the Christmas season, where like we're bombarded with messages of like buy things to make you and your friends happy. Right? And, and I mean, that's, that we live in a culture built around happiness and just consume, consume, consume. Find more things that will help give you that you know, boost of dopamine or whatever to make you feel really happy for a moment. Um, but that just doesn't last, and, that's, and that doesn't have the spiritual depth that we need. No. Um, so um, if we take it a layer deeper, so when we, as we talk about joy and happiness, really when, when I'm looking at John the Baptist's story and I drill down deep of like why is it that I think John was somebody who had joy regardless what was happening in his life, I think it, it has to do with his sense of internal purpose. Joy comes from an understanding of internal purpose and not external circumstances, right? Um, if you know who you are and you know whose you are and you know why you're here, then everything else is, is, everything else is, is far less important and you can, you can truly handle, when, when Paul talks about I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, keep in mind Paul says those words as he, like John, is languishing in prison, uh, going to be suffering and probably going to be martyred for his faith, right? When we have an understanding of our internal purpose, then we can experience any number of pains or grievances or, or losses and, and, we, and our joy, though, is not shaken by that. Because our joy isn't built upon what's happening to us, but more of who we are and how we understand our role with God. Um, you know, John understood his life on earth was a singular focus of preparing the way for Christ. He was going to go out and he was going to speak that truth to whoever would listen for as long as he could until his life was over. And that's exactly what he did. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus says this guy was greater than anyone who's come before because John never got confused about why he was here. And I know in my own life there's so many times where I get confused as to why I'm here. You know, I begin to think that my life is about uh, any number of things that are really external circumstances, the things that I find myself doing, and it's not really core purposes in my life. And when I can reconnect and get back to, to my relationship with God and say, God, remind me again who I am and why I'm here. Remind me again why it is you created me. Remind me again why I wake up in the morning and, and why I lay down to sleep at night. If I can answer those questions not based upon whatever my present circumstance is, um, then I'm going to find a lot more joy in my life because it's, I'm not constantly chasing something uh, that will make me feel valuable. Instead, I've got a relationship that, that that's where I derive my value from. Yeah. And I will say, and to insert, yeah. when you're, uh, we, I mean, we still are going to feel grief and sadness. We're going to, you know. Of course. All of that. Um, 
but going back to there's that little seed of joy that I think is there. And so <clears throat> we never want to say, oh, you won't feel you won't feel sadness. You won't feel grief. Like no, absolutely. I have clinical you're, depression, right? Like, like you're gonna have, feel sadness and grief, right? And so let's be very clear. When we talk about having joy in the Lord, we're not talking about slapping a fake smile on your face, right? Uh, for me, so I guess someone with depression, when I think about joy, I think about I've got a bedrock that doesn't let me be hopeless, right? There's a lot of days that I'm really sad. There's a lot of days that I that I don't feel motivated. There's a lot of days where I feel like I might be worthless, but I don't hit that rock bottom of saying I have no value, I have no worth, I have no hope. To me, that joy is that firm undergirding, that bedrock, that foundational relation that says, okay, no matter how low I get, I still have hope, I still have light, I still have my God, I still have love. Um, that's, that's my own personal experience. Yeah. Thank you for inserting. Yes. Yeah. Um, so there's two characters that I just want to talk about really, really briefly that are part of the the birth story really are Simeon and Anna and um, they come after when um, Joseph and Mary are presenting Jesus at the temple and Simeon and Anna like their sole purpose is to like Simeon especially like God told him he would not die until he saw the Messiah so he's a very old man Um, Anna's like I think they say in the Bible she's 80 something she had been a widow for like 70 years or something and I love the two of them because they had to wait a really, really long time to see that joyful thing of the Messiah. And so I had asked my question, or I had asked myself, did they not have joy until that moment? Mm. And I thought, no, they, they did. I imagine they spent so much of their life proclaiming to people, the Messiah is coming. Like, God is faithful. Like, God will... will um, fulfill his promises and and then sometimes I play devil's advocate and think what if they hadn't seen the messiah what if they died before would they have been angry or less faithful or all that and I have to imagine that no I think they had this deep joy of following God and knowing that God was faithful and I think for me again it's not uh, external things it's really that internal purpose and I have to imagine that Simeon and Anna both had this great joy of just following, of following God and believing what had been said about the Messiah coming. And so I just love those two characters because they kind of just, they're these great little vignettes in the, in the birth story we kind yeah. of skip out on a lot. Well, and they're important to lift up because they're a great example of when the, they do get to see, you know, yeah. sort of that promised realization. Like they do get to hold the Messiah. And, and, and John... Um, is not going to get to see everything. So let, let's take it to our, our last layer this morning. Um, if we go a little bit deeper, when I read John the Baptist's story, especially in Matthew 11, it makes clear to me that joy is found in Christ and in the kingdom of God for John the Baptist and for our lives. Um, and I think it's important to name these things because um, John is not going to get to witness the full breadth and depth of Jesus' ministry. Right? This is a guy that had made his whole life about preparing the way for Christ, and he doesn't get to see the healings. And he doesn't get to feast with the 5,000. He doesn't get to walk on water. He doesn't get to witness the crucifixion and resurrection. He doesn't get to experience any of these things here on earth. 
He baptizes Christ. That's an incredible experience. But then shortly after, he's imprisoned, and that's basically the end of John's life. And, and so when Jesus is talking about how John is greater than anyone who's ever come before, and yet even the least in the kingdom of God is better than John, one thing he's talking about there, he, it, Jesus is kind of alluding to the Moses story uh, for those who are, who are Jewish listeners. If you'll remember, Moses was the one who led the, the Israel, Is, Israelite people out of Egypt and into the promised land, except Moses didn't get to enter, right? Moses never got to set foot in the land of milk and honey. He only got to take them right up to that precipice, and then he had to stop. And they had to go on without him. And, and Jesus is sort of drawing a connection for those in the audience that are, that are Jewish listeners. Who He's sort of saying, John's kind of like Moses. John is better than anybody that's come before. And yet he's not going to get to experience this kingdom of God that everyone else will get to. And so your experience is going to be even greater than his. Um, I, I feel for John, right? Because... Again, and, and we're going to talk, talk about this in a second, but I think about myself and I think about the sort of culture that we live in where we define our value and we define our success based upon what we can hold in our hands. What we can say is, look, I've done this, or I saw this across the finish line, right? I completed this project, right? If you went to work and you started about a bunch of projects and didn't finish any of them, right, that wouldn't bode very well for you at work, would it? No, managers in the room, would you love it if your team members started a bunch of projects and left them all half finished? No. We, we don't live in a culture that values this, and yet John was only ever going to be able to get his project half finished. He was going to live an unfinished life, and he was going to have to find joy in that at the same time. Um, Reagan, you want to say something, I think, oh, here before I yeah. keep talking. So, <clears throat> again, there's this other beautiful scene. I keep I'm just all over the place this morning. That's so okay. Sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, so there's, in Luke 4, um, Jesus is in a temple in Nazareth, and he uh, unrolls a scroll and reads, again, from the book of Isaiah, the prophecy about himself. And so he reads this, and basically the gist of it is he's saying, the kingdom of God is, is here. Like, I am the Messiah. I am the awaited one. And so the kingdom of God is here. And also, the kingdom is not fully realized yet. It's not here fully. And so there's this tension that the kingdom of God is here, but not yet. And so I think Christ in that moment is trying to teach, like, um, there's a lot that has been done. There's a lot that is here. But there's a lot that um, is far off. Going off, with, going off of what you said about um, John the Baptist is that he never gets to see things fully. And so for me, I realize the kingdom of God, while I've experienced it and I see bits and parts of it, I know that it's not fully here. So again, it gives me some more purpose to be part of building that, to um, seek out those that are lost, um, stand up for injustice, speak out, um, you know, help widows and orphans, all the things that we can do so the kingdom of God keeps breaking through and coming here. And so I think John the Baptist, again, um, and with this, prophecy and Jesus and all that mixed together is realizing that, gosh, it is, there's great joy here and there's going to be great joy later. And we have, we have purpose and we have, um, I don't know, something to be grateful for, I guess. And just, it gives me direction, I guess, a little bit. 
Yeah. Uh, do you want to say any more about that? You know, I mean, it does. I, when I read John the Baptist's story, I think about, like, just to get real, you know, brass tacks, I think about my life, and I think about those people, and think about for yourself for a second, think about those people that have had uh, a really meaningful influence on you that they probably don't realize they had. Right? Think about that experience when you were a child or a teenager or a young adult. The people that, that really impacted you, a coach, a teacher, a, an adult, an older sibling, an older student, um, that, that maybe they said something or they did something, and it wasn't necessarily this big monumental moment. It wasn't a miracle. It was, it was something simple, but they, they, they had an impact on you in a way that you've never forgotten. And maybe it's even become a, a weird sort of, not a weird, but it's become almost a thing that has steered your life, right? I think about those adults in my life. I think about uh, Miss Sandy at my church growing up and Palmer at my church. I think about, uh, you know, my teachers, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Motley and Mr. Walmack. And, and, I mean, these are people that, yeah, they knew they were investing in me, in me, but I don't think they ever realized the kind of investment that they made, right? Um, who, who are those people for you, Right? Um, and I think about the life of John the Baptist as one who really made himself about pouring out and beginning work that he was never going to see the end result of. And again, we, we operate in a, in a community, we operate in a city, we operate in a culture that is all about instant gratification. We're in a season of Christmas that's all about instant gratification. And what does it look like for us to find joy in wrapping up a gift and sending it off and knowing we're never going to see somebody open it. Knowing we're never going to see the, the, the impact that it makes. Never going to experience that joy for ourselves. But can we simply have joy in the putting it out there? Can we simply have joy in preparing this world to be even more ready to receive the kingdom of God? And that requires selflessness. That requires saying, I don't have to be the one that walks on water. I don't have to be the one that feasts with the 5,000. I don't have to be the one that sees all the healings. I don't have to be the one. I, I am content, even if my life ends with me imprisoned and executed, right? Literal, figurative. I don't have to be the one because I know that my life is more than just about me. And I know it's about more than whatever is going to make me happy today. Um, my life is about creating a space, a community, a place, whether that's in your home, in your office, in your neighborhood, creating a world that is more ready to receive the kingdom of God. Now, what, what could give us greater joy than one day laying our head down for the last time and knowing that you did something to bring God's kingdom closer to earth? That's a lot more than an old iPad that has been left uncharged in some random basket in my house forever, right? Like, I think about the, this time of year, and I think about the kind of life that I want to live, and I think about the person of John the Baptist, and I ask myself, can I be that kind of a person? Can I be that kind of a disciple? Can I live a life that says, I am happy to not be the one? I'm happy to do the hard work that I never get to see the fruit of. I find joy in that. That's the power of John the Baptist to me. And I think that's why Jesus lifts him up because it is a complete selflessness when it comes to building for God's kingdom and following after Jesus. Because if we're being really honest, we like walking on water and we like seeing the healings and we like tasting and seeing for ourselves. We don't want to get a report from somebody else. So my prayer for us this week 
is that we could be a church community. And I believe that we already are, and I believe that we are becoming this all the time. Um, it's a both and, right? I, I, my prayer is that we could be a people who are comfortable not being the one. That we would be comfortable being a church that prepares the way for the kingdom of God, even if we don't always get to see it up close in, in person. You know, you, you weren't up here yesterday to see the Rainbow Days Carnival, most likely. Um, this is something we open our doors for all the time here at Lover's Lane. It's for hundreds and hundreds of kids who are experiencing homelessness or domestic violence. And they get to have a day of joy and fun. And you didn't even realize that you helped make that possible, did you? That's the kind of work that I'm talking about. The kind of work that says, I don't have to be the one. I'm happy to prepare the way for somebody else. That's the gift that I find in John the Baptist this morning. Reagan, do you have anything else to say? No. It's kind of a simple message. (laughs) But I think that we need a simple message this Christmas. Um, I think we need need a message that says the stuff that you think is going to make you happy isn't. But the work that God gives you, that will bring you joy. And that will help you live a life that when you're at the end, you say, you know what? I look at everything and I say, wow, thank you, God, for what you've done. Let's say a word of prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks this morning. We give you thanks as a people who are walking in, and maybe we experience this week a lot of, a lot of happiness. Maybe we've had something really good happen in our lives. Maybe we got that promotion, or maybe we got that good news. But God, maybe we walked in and we feel a little bit like John the Baptist. We can feel the chains. We wonder if our shackles will ever be broken or if Or if we'll ever experience that kind of happiness in the same way again. God, the gift that you bring us, that we give you thanks for. God, the gift that you bring us is a joy that transcends all of our experiences and all of our circumstances. God, you you promise us that nothing is more powerful than you. No matter what kind of grief, pain, or suffering we may be experiencing, that you promise that is not forever, but your love is. God, you offer us a joy that doesn't come from momentary happinesses or things just seeming to go our way. You offer us a joy that comes from knowing that we are yours and you are ours. That your kingdom is here. Thank you for being with us in worship today. So God, as as we prepare ourselves to respond to your gift, as we prepare ourselves to go about our lives, as we go as parents and children, as husbands and wives, we go as professionals, we go as community members, 
we go as servants and disciples. God, remind us that there is a lot of kingdom work that has yet to be done and that none of us will see your kingdom fully realized here on this earth. That like John the Baptist, we are asked to be willing to not be the one. To do the hard work that we may never reap the benefit of. To prepare the way for the Lord. Because we know that even though you're here, you're just getting started. And you invite us to come alongside and to find joy in your good work. We thank you, God. We look back at our lives and we say, wow, look at what God has done. And we ask ourselves what we can do with what time we have left. All this we pray in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ, who ushers in the kingdom of God, who heals the sick, who lifts up the oppressed, who gives resurrection and life to us all. Amen.